our fix, okay? Uh, and we can hardly wait until Tucker Carlson comes on or uh, our true guru, uh, Rush Limbaugh, okay? Uh, and we, we get rejuvenated. We get, okay, everything's back in order. America's going the right way. Okay, yes, and, and so on and so forth, okay? But let me tell you something. You know where we ought to be? Right there. That is our book right here. Uh, and you evaluate everything it's said. Now, do I listen to Sean Hannity? Sure. I enjoy it, man. You know, yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't depend on Sean Hannity to tell me how the world is going or to determine how I feel about my Christianity in the country where I am, okay? Now, so what do we do? What on earth do we do? We're, we're just, uh, you know, how do we defend ourselves? We have no defense, it seems like. I want to read a, a passage to you. Do you remember when Jesus said uh, uh, that uh, you're in His hands and in the Father's hands and so on and so forth? And He said, I and the Father are one. Do you remember that passage, John 10? Okay, look at verse number 31. Jesus has just pronounced, I and the Father are one. Then the Jews, verse 31, I'm sorry, in verse 30, he pronounced that. Verse 31, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. That's how we feel. Every time we turn around, somebody's throwing stones at us. Okay? And every time we calm it down, within 20 minutes, somebody's picking up another stone. Every time Jesus turned around... People were angry and mad at him uh, as well as they were happy with him. He didn't have a, a, a great situation. Uh, and in those days, they could kill you with impunity. Uh, and don't, don't look away. It might happen here, okay? And he says this, Jesus answered them. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to make a statement, and you are welcome to challenge this statement as long as you can challenge it with Scripture. Okay, it's got to be Scripture. can't be your thoughts. This is the only place that I know of where Jesus defended Himself. I've looked and I've looked and I've looked. He wouldn't even speak to uh, some of the leaders who condemned Him, right? And when He talked with Herod or with uh, Pilate, He didn't defend Himself. But here He defends Himself. And listen to what He says. Jesus answered them... Many good works have I showed you from my Father. Which of those works do you stone me? They didn't have an answer. They said, it's not for good works we stone you. You have made yourself equal to God, which He was. Okay, it's okay to make yourself equal to God if you are equal to God. It would be very improper for us to do that. And they were going to stone him. And he said, for which good work do you stone me? You know something? Uh, and don't take this the wrong way. It's hard to cuss at the farmer with your mouth full, isn't it? And you know something? When the world sees the works of the goodness of God, it's hard for them to say anything other than thank you. Did you know that? Uh, <laughs> I go into situations that are hostile all the time. And I begin to tell people about the ministry of Operation Renewed Hope. In fact, if you go to the table back there, and I hope you will, we have gospel tracts called uh, The Goodness of God. Stories about the goodness of God. And I have ten. I just haven't had time to write all the tracts, but I've got them all listed. I've got two of them done. I've got to get the third one done very shortly, okay? And these are stories of God's goodness. You know something? You can say, did you know there was a little girl in Honduras who came to a medical clinic conducted by Operation Renewed Hope, and she needed heart surgery? And you know something? They were able to get it because God was so good and paid for it. Now, what stone are they going to throw? They don't have one. You see, nobody's telling the world how good God is. And Romans says it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Isn't that what it says? 
We like to take a club and beat them to death. We like to see them laying on the ground bleeding, you know, from our preaching. That's not what Jesus did. Not even close. Now, did he hesitate to tell them the truth? Not on your life. And he looked at them and said, you're a bunch of vipers. Man, that's, that's tough language, isn't it? When was the last time you walked up to somebody and said, hey, you know, you're like a viper. You've got poison in you. Okay? So he never, ever missed the message. Nor did he minimize the message. Nor did he water down the message. But he never used the message as a club against people in general. It was only against sinners who challenged his authority. And then he came at them with a vengeance. And could do it with authority. Okay? But here... He's going to be stoned to death. And he says, for what good work do you stone me? You see, the church quit doing good works a long time ago. Uh, because we thought that was a, a slippery slope of going away from the gospel. Now let me ask you this. In all I've done and every time I've been here, have I failed to show you people getting saved? But we do good works all day. You see, that's the double-fisted approach. I've got a message that I cannot change. Did you know that? That message is man is a sinner, he's going to hell, and there's one Savior. Not many. That's my message. I'm not allowed to change it. But I can present that message. I had a man tell me one time, he said, you know, I preach the gospel all the time, and sometimes I use my voice. You know what he did? He helped people all over the world and people would sit and listen to him preach. Why? They can't argue. There's nothing. What are you going to do? Throw stones at a man that just saved somebody's life? They have to grit their teeth and go, yes, God is good. Don't you love it? You see, we're missing the boat, folks. And it started many years ago when we came out with this militant salvation expression. We're militant Christians. No, we're not. I don't have an ounce of military in me when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's free to every man. Any man who will humble his heart may have that gospel. And I don't beat him with a club to make him take it. And we must get back to what the roots of Christianity actually is. You see, the second fist that I fight with is good works. And I can, man, I can lay a blow that they just sit back going, whoa. Why? Because it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? And the prick is the fact that the church, you know, the, the mayor ought to call your pastor and go, Pastor, now listen, please tell your people to quit calling me about what can they do to help this city. Man, I got them working every place I can put them. Why? <coughs> Excuse me. Because we must begin to convey the gospel the way it was intended to be conveyed. And that is in the hands of God's people. And they are good works. All right? Now, um, so that we don't stay here all night, I've got several messages that are just running through my mind that I want to preach. When you get one shot at it, you know, you get five or six messages up here, and so I have to combine them all. You know what I mean? Uh, we're going to talk about four things in the Bible that I think are very important. Uh, and let me preface it with how, we do, how the church defends itself today. We don't defend ourselves in politics. You're going to lose. You're going to lose badly, okay? Because as soon as your party goes out of power, so do you, all right? There is no... Do you, do you recognize there's no Messiah in Washington, D.C.? That's the most messed up place in the face of the earth. I go there. I know. All right, We don't have the ability to defend ourselves by forming a carnal weapons store. And by the way, that's what we're in danger of doing. I've been shown 
weapons caches in people's homes. Uh, they open up this big chest, and they got four and five rifles and shotguns, and they've got enough ammunition that I promise you they could have fought the little bighorn single-handedly. Now, folks, I, our, our power is not in, at the end of a shotgun. All right? Uh, our power... Now, I hate abortion. I hate it with as much passion as you can imagine. I lived in a children's home. My, my mother could have aborted me. I was small enough, I was premature, that I could have been aborted. So I'm against the whole idea. But I can't change the world by changing abortion. I just can't do it. You know how you change the world? One soul at a time through Jesus Christ. And all these things that we are putting up are what I call our pearls. Okay, you don't cast your pearls before what? Swine. And I have wonderful pearls. My Christianity... May I come down there? I get tired of walking around up here. Is that all right? All right. Uh, I really want people to believe my pearls before I want them to believe the gospel. Did you know that? That's what we want. We want them to come in cleaned up and ready to sing the songs of Zion, right? Then they can get saved. But man, these people that come in, they've got some messed up ideas. You know? Thank God that the churches of 20 and 30 years ago used to take in messed up people. Do you know that? That's how you got here. All right? Uh, uh, and uh, let me just go over here for just a minute now. Keep me over here because I'm, I'm old, okay, and I forget. When I come back, I'll say, what were we talking about? And you tell me, okay? We're, all right? Uh, I had a man tell me one time, and I love him to death. He's a good missionary. He's a good friend of mine right now. I work with him every time that I get a chance. But I was sitting in his home, and he said, now listen, this is how we get people saved. And I sat and I listened to this whole thing, and, and more and more. It's pearls, right? Everybody with me? We're getting back to the pearls, okay? But stay with me here, okay? And he said, uh, you got to believe this, and you got to do this, and you got to do this, and you got to believe this. And, and I looked at him, and I said to him, I said, well, brother, let's pray right now, because I've been lost all these years. I never did any of those things when I got saved. Do you know I didn't know anything about the virgin birth of Christ? When you got saved, were you fully versed about Jesus being born of a virgin? As a matter of fact, we didn't even use that word. We, you know, you just kind of stayed away from it. That's kind of a, you know, <laughs> that was a questionable word, you know. I didn't know that Jesus was God. Had no idea. Nobody told me that. I didn't know that the Bible was inspired. Hadn't, I didn't even... The word inspired? Come on, that's a big word. We don't even use words like that. I didn't know about the church. All I knew was that a man stood in a pulpit and he preached that Jesus Christ died for all men. And by the way, this is the way Charles Haddon Spurgeon got saved too. Read his life story. And that Jesus could save you if you believed in Him. And that I was going to hell if I didn't believe in Him. Now, buddy, that punched the ticket right there, okay? I'm not going to hell, all right? And so, and another thing happened that was so terrible today. Oh, you don't do this. My cousin was sitting beside me and leaned over to me and said, would you like to go forward? <laughs> we don't do that today. That's interfering with the Spirit of God. You know what I mean? Thank God somebody said to me, would you like to go forward? I had no idea what going forward meant. I looked at him and said, sure. <laughs> we use terms that are religious terms, you know. So I walked down that aisle and the only thing I knew was that Jesus could save me. <laughs> That's all I knew. That was the sum total. Now, I did know John 3.16. Okay? All right? That was the sum total of everything I knew. And a man met me 
at the altar. Now, in those days, they didn't have personal workers to take you through uh, 12 different books of discipleship so you could be saved, okay? And he said to me, he said, son, why are you coming forward? And I said, well, I want to do what that man said. I want to trust Jesus. And he told me that I was to kneel right there and ask Jesus to save me. Now, that was counseling in those days. You know what I mean? And so, hey, I was 14 years old. I knelt down at the altar, and I said, Lord, please save me. said it once. Well, that was kind of short. I mean, if you're going to do a prayer, add a little time to it. I mean, you know, God might have missed that one, you know. And so I said, Lord, please save me. And I thought about it, and I thought to myself, and this is exactly what I thought, third time's charm. <laughs> so I prayed, and I said, Lord, please save me. You know something? He did. We have made salvation such a monstrous task because of our pearls. Well, you're not supposed to do this. You know how many people got saved smoking? You know how many people got saved and they still drank? Do you know how many people got saved, but as time went on, they got these things out of their lives because the church was a salvation station? That's what it was for. Man, people come in, and I can't tell you, I had a, a family come in one time to my church, okay? I'm still on the pearls, all right? Uh, and uh, they stayed in our church for about five, six months, and all of a sudden they found out that they needed to be married. Okay, and so they came up to me and uh, said, uh, Pastor, you know, we've never been married. We've got two kids, and uh, would you, you know, what do we need to do? I said, well, first of all, you've got to put your relationship in the right mode, and that's under God's authority. And I said, uh, I want you to separate for the next week. Next Sunday after church, we'll hold your wedding, and anybody in the church that wants to stay can stay. You know something? The church was just thrilled to death because all of a sudden a family made a tremendous decision to put their family under the authority of God Almighty. See, they come in with all kinds of messed up ideas and today are they ever messed up. But you know something? My Christianity gives me a lot of pearls. A lot of pearls. Such as, I believe in the sanctity of life. Do you? Yeah. 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 I believe in taking care of my country, don't you? Sure I do. I believe in voting. I believe in speaking about what I think. Uh, I've got all kinds of rights that I exercise. I believe that our country ought to be righteous, don't you? Sure. Those are pearls, folks. Okay, you know a, a pearl that we don't even think about? We all like to be attired in clothing that honors the Lord. Sure. Man, I'm going to, you know, I don't always wear a suit when I go to church. On Wednesday night when I go in, if I'm not preaching, I'll wear a nice outfit, but I don't always wear a suit. Okay? Even when I'm preaching, some pastors will say, look, there's no need to wear a, church, uh, a suit on Wednesday night in our church because nobody is going to be wearing a suit where we are. And I go, okay. And so I, I dress like they do. All right? But we all believe in honoring the Lord with the way we look. That's pearl, folks. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's a pearl that came along after years and years of development in my life. I have a, a, a pearl about music. There's some music I don't listen to. There's some music I don't listen to you love. Did you know that? And there's some music that you listen to that I go, no, nope, not going to listen to that. We all have our pearls. Do you realize the elevated lifestyle that Christianity brought to us? We are the most educated people on the face of the earth. The church is full of education. Why? Because our Christianity says that we ought to do our very best for God, doesn't it? 
And so we teach our kids. Now, look, you little young'un, you're going to go to school whether you like it or not, okay? And we go get them, drag them into school, and tell the teacher, take care of this one. Okay, why? Because we live an elevated lifestyle. You don't even recognize it. Uh, I guarantee you, your pastor can tell you what you were like when you first came here. And there are people sitting here that he has watched their life change. Their attitudes, their speech. You know, why? We have pearls. And these are one of them. But our pearls do not substitute for the gospel of Jesus Christ, nor are they required of someone to be saved. A man is saved from his sin, not the pearls being adhered to. And see, we like people to do what we do, talk what we talk, listen to what we listen to, and if they might, by chance, do it long enough, oh, we might even let them get saved. And folks, that's why people aren't getting saved in our church. And because of our elevated lifestyle, we have no contact with that sinful world. It's called contamination. And we don't understand why they don't live and talk and look and be what we are. And as a result of that, when the pastor says, hey, we're going to have evangelistic service, nobody brings anybody. You don't know sinners. Uh, we stay away from them, you know. <laughs> That's a sinner. Friend, you ought to be making friends with sinners. Aren't you glad that Jesus went up to Zacchaeus and said, Zacchaeus, come down today. I'm going to your house. And everybody goes, you've got to be kidding me. He's going to the publican's house? And we teach the kids the song and we... We ignore its meaning. Uh, I love that song, you know. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And Jesus said, come down Zacchaeus, for I'm going to your house today. Right? How many sinners have you been in their home? We don't. I'm staying with my wife's uncle. Uh, they have a uh, very nice children's museum in Torrington. Her uncle is the leading person in Torrington behind that. And so tonight he's having an activity at his home. Now every now and then he goes to church, I'm sure, uh, he, you know, we've talked with him and he, he will tell us things about his church. And they have beer and wine and strong drink there tonight because that's what people do. Now, I can do one of two things. I can go in there and tell him what a horrible sinner he is or I can bide my time so that I can give him the gospel and win his confidence. Do I drink? No. Sure don't. I never will forget, I was invited to an embassy in Washington, D.C. And so I went into the embassy, and I was going to have lunch with the ambassador and his wife. And that, you don't understand what a privilege that is. Very few people ever get into an embassy residence. And so I'm sitting there, he's sitting here, his wife is sitting across from me, uh, a man who works with me is sitting right here, and the ambassador says to me, uh, I have taken the liberty to draw from our wine cellar probably one of the best wines that we have. Uh, and I looked at him, uh, and he said, you know, I'd like for you to taste it first. And that's a, that's a real compliment. And I looked at him, and I said, sir, let me tell you something. I would ask an indulgence from you. I don't drink alcoholic beverages. Never have, and I can't start now. It's against what I believe. I said, may I have sparkling water? And he looked at the, uh, at the maitre d' who was in charge of the table, and he went, take the wine all away. We all will have sparkling water today. Why? 
because he saw Jesus in me. When people, you know what he said? He said, I can't believe all the things you do for our country. We desperately need your help. And there was nothing that he was going to do to offend even one of my pearls. It wasn't going to happen. And there was no way I was going to compromise one of my pearls. It was not going to happen. Uh, you probably go to meetings. Uh, I, I never will forget. My son, David, was in, he's an engineer, okay? Uh, and uh, uh, he got an invitation by computer in his uh, group. And it said, uh, wine and cocktails at 4 o'clock. And David wrote back and said, I don't drink alcoholic beverages. I can't come. And so they said, okay, David. And he got an email back saying, what do you drink? He said, I'm, I'm partial to Diet Coke. You know what? It came back to him? An invitation. Okay. Cocktails at four and Diet Coke. They amended everything. Why? Because they looked at David and they said, if there's a God... That's what he looks like right there. And folks, that's what we need. I never will forget, I was, uh, I was invited to Washington, D.C. for a uh, council, for a meeting uh, to honor the humanitarian of the year of all of Central America. And so I got my clearances to come. I went in. Uh, I was walking around. And the first thing you saw was a table, and it had all of the accomplishments of this man. And friend, I tell you what, they were great. What he was doing, feeding children. He was working with women who had been battered and abused. He was doing jail ministry reform. And in foreign countries, that is a big deal. You don't want to get in a foreign country jail. I got news for you, okay? On and on, this table would just barely hold all the things that he did. I went on up into what's called the ballroom. And there was every form of dignitary in Washington in that room. Even the Secretary of Defense was in that room. And I never will forget, the man came to the podium as everybody's standing there in the ballroom and got everybody's attention and began to read the accomplishments of this man and introduced him. When he got to the platform, he had his collar backwards. Do you know what I mean? He had a white collar right here. He was a Catholic priest. And everyone, everyone stood there and clapped and applauded this man. Because if there is a God... That's what God would do on earth. And I thought to myself, he's got the method down pretty good, but he has no message. No message. What you preached this morning was exactly the truth. No message. Folks, we've got both. We've got the message of a Jesus who died for all men. It's the most marvelous message in the world. It's the only hope of mankind. Mohammed does not have a message of death, substitutionary death. Did you know that? Buddha does not have substitutionary death. Did you know that? Hinduism does not have substitutionary death. Did you know that? No religion on the face of the earth has the free gift of salvation from a God who says, I love you. Every one of them follows a God that does not love them. But we just don't have the good works to go with it. We just don't. You see, we made good works. I don't spit. I don't chew. I don't go with girls who do. That's good works from the Bible for us. You know what good works are? Go to Timothy. He said to Timothy, he said, Paul said, now look, if you're going to have a, a widow, 
and take her into the church for support. She's got to be known for good works. You know what the good works were? Had nothing to do with not spitting, not chewing, not going with girls that do. It had everything with the fact that she had hospitality and she took care of people. It was good works to the outward. Did you know the reason Jesus... The people who heard Jesus say, for which good work do you stone me? They weren't thinking about his holy life. You know what they were thinking about? They were thinking about the man just a week ago that couldn't walk and Jesus said, stand. They were thinking about the man who couldn't see and Jesus touched his eyes and he saw. They were thinking about the woman who had the issue and Jesus healed her right there in front of them. They were thinking about the man who was let down through the roof and by faith Jesus healed him. They were thinking of the good works. He said, you've seen many good works. And by the way, they had. He said, for which one do you condemn me? And the church ought to be able to say in this world today, for which good work do you stone us? Haven't we changed the lives of people? Haven't we been faithful to find people in great need and do something for them? Haven't we shown you a God of compassion and mercy? Tell me, what have we done wrong? And they'll say the same thing. Well, it's not for that that we stone you. We don't like your Bible. Right? That's right. Four verses I'm going to give to you and then I'm going to quit because i got about five or six minutes here, okay? I'm trying to get you out. Number one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. All right, look there, please. Now, when you get there, uh, let's see. Let me pick on somebody to read for This young man right here, uh, you sing in the choir, don't you? I was watching you sing. You smiled. I like that. That was really good. Can you read Matthew 5 and 16 for me? You know, I couldn't understand. What's the light? It's Jesus. It's, when I show good works, I'm showing what Jesus taught me. Okay? You know, we're so upset. People don't like our God anymore. They're always talking bad about him. Well, that's because we look like mules. Our faces are this long when it comes to Christianity. We've been weaned on dill pickle juice, folks. <laughs> and the world looks at us and goes, I don't want anything to do with that. You blame them? I don't blame them. It's not God they don't like. Do you understand that? It's us. We give them no reason to like our God. But if we would do good works, they would have to honor our God. Whether they grit their teeth or what, they've got to honor the God who produced the good works in us. That's what it says, isn't it? By the way, if you read Matthew 5 through 7, that's called what in the Bible? Does anybody know? Yeah, the Beatitudes, that's the first. Uh, it, is, it is God's manifesto through Jesus Christ. He's telling you what He thinks. Read it. It's unbelievable what Jesus thinks. He said, now I know you've heard this, but I'm saying this. Okay, He says that over and over. He's trying to change the minds of people. You know, that's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Brother, isn't that the hardest thing you ever do? I mean, it's difficult. And he said, I know you've been told these things, but I want you to understand something. When you do good works, you honor your Father. Okay, Matthew 5, 16. You want people to talk well of God, then you make them. And you make them by the good works, and you let your light shine. Those good works are like beacons that are going off all over town. Okay? You know, today we just had a good time, didn't we? Why? Because we were talking about the good things of God, weren't we? We just kept talking and talking and talking. The more we talked, we talked ourselves into joy. We did our best not to get there, but we couldn't do it. We got there. Why? Because when you start talking about God's goodness, you got to smile. And you got to say, boy, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Second thing, 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses, or verse 8. Can you go there real quickly? Would somebody volunteer to read it real loudly for me? Anybody? Okay. Okay, brother. All right, read verse 9 now. Because, see, this is the verse we use to get people saved, isn't it? We want them to know you're not working your way to heaven, right? And they're not, by the way. You can't do it, okay? For by grace are you saved. If you're sitting here tonight and you're saved, it's only by God's grace. That's the only reason you're sitting here, okay? Now, read verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's right. I can't work my way to heaven. Now, let's go to verse 10 because we never read verse 10. We stop right there. Read verse 10 for me. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. You know why you're saved? Sit in, a, sit in a church someplace and just go, okay, well, he's preaching again. Well, that's what he's supposed to do. What do you want him to do? Stand up there and twiddle his thumbs? It's us that have the problem. We can't appreciate the messages of God anymore because there's nothing. You, we're Dead Sea Christians. Do you understand that? Everything goes in and nothing ever comes out. And that's not why we were saved, was it? Verse 10 tells us why we're saved. We're created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God... Before ordained, before he ever created salvation, he wanted a people that would walk like him, talk like him, and be like him, and do the things that he would do so that people could say on the face of this earth, if there is a God, that's what he looks like. Why? Not because they know, they know you don't look like God but they do think you ought to act like Him, which means you look like Him. See, that's why that Catholic priest had such power in a room of people who brokered power all over the world. They recognized that power. Don't you ever doubt that when you tell a person what God has done in the life of someone, it is extremely powerful, and they have to back away. You see, we're saved. First of all, God our Father needs to be praised, does He not? Is He not worthy of all praise? So we do good works, right? That's what we ought to do. We're saved. You know why we got saved? So that we could go and do good works. That's exactly what it's all about. Uh, the most important verse in the Bible, if I said 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16... What is 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 about? Anybody know? Don't you say, Pastor, because if you say, then I won't be able to trap them. 2 Timothy, uh, yeah, read it out loud, real loud, would you? Did you know that's the only verse in the Bible that uses the word inspiration? It is the cardinal verse for the most important doctrine in the Bible. And that is the inspiration of the Word of God. Folks, if it's not inspired, we're wasting our time right here. It's got to be right. I, a long time ago, decided it was right. No matter what man says, that book called the Bible is right. All right? And I will live and die with that. And I have taught my children that. You've taught yours. You, you've brought your family up. Each one of you have done that. You see, it's inspired of God and it's profitable. Read the next verse, please. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Oh, whoa, back up there. We used the words good works again, didn't we? Yes. You know what thoroughly means? It means, if you go to the book of Acts, Paul went from this location, 
to this location. And he, he accomplished that. We use it in mus uh, musical terms. Like the young lady who sang this morning, she was very accomplished with her voice, wasn't she? Yeah, why? Because she practices. You do practice, don't you? Where is she? You do practice, right? Good, good, keep it up. My son is a coach. He says you've got to practice right. You can't practice wrong and get to right. So you practice right, okay? In other words, you ought to be accomplished when it comes to good works. The church ought to be the seat that trains the rest of the world. Do you know the UN stole the model of the church? They act just like the church, and we have no problem with that. We don't, we don't dislike them for stealing our model. We dislike them for other reasons. We ought to be just, oh, so upset. They go into countries and, and they do education. They go into countries and they do medical. They go into countries and they do all the good works. And many countries couldn't do without them. Why? Because the church sits, soaks, and sours. And we refuse to do anything in the outside world. Operation Renewed Hope purposed that we would show Jesus Christ and the purpose of the Bible. The Bible becomes awful important when you're doing good works because you see, that's why it was given. It was not given as a textbook and that's what we've made it. We come in here and we go, okay, let's look at the tabernacle. Tabernacle had 12 of these and 14 of these and uh, these were made like this and everybody's going, who cares? I mean, if I was going to college, yes. All right? That's why I liked your message so much today. It was so down to earth and everybody walked out going, you know, yeah, he's right about that. I used to, I, I have taught seminary. And I would tell the guys, until the truck driver in the pews walks out of your church and says, Preacher, that was pretty good today. I liked that one. You don't know how to preach. And we ought to be honoring the Word of God with good works. So we've got our Father in heaven. We've got our Savior, Jesus Christ, our salvation. And we have the most important book that's ever been given to mankind. And the whole reason is that we might be journeymen. That we might be accomplished. That we might be fully filled with good works. That's the purpose of the Bible. It is not a textbook. I don't care what anybody says. But in our churches today, the Bible is a textbook. I go into churches, and I'll be honest with you, I sit there going, oh man, this sounds like uh, Bible 101. I remember that. I don't want Bible 101. I want to know what happened in that man's life that last week our church found and helped. That's what I want to know. I want to walk out going, that's my church. Man, I tell you what, you know what we're doing? We have a Meals on, on Wheels, and every person in this town that is shut in, they get a meal every day from us. Why? Because we're doing this. Did you know that our church has a, 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 a pantry, and people come from all over to get that? Did you know that our church is involved in the Special Olympics of that town? Did you know without our church, the Special Olympics couldn't happen? And I can go on and on to the things. I never will forget. A man came to me and he said, you know, I'm broken hearted. I said, why? He said, well, there was a playground being put up. And there were several of us that wanted to go and help put up the playground. Uh, and we thought it'd be good. We'd all wear our shirts, you know, from the church. And we'd go in. We'd talk about Jesus while we were putting it up. Good witness. And, and the pastor said, no. And I said, Why? Well, he said, we might be around people that might light a cigarette. You ever worked around somebody? I, I used to work around people that were homosexuals. Now, if you don't believe that's a problem, oh, man. You just, your skin kind of goes like this and draws up on you. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Each one of you have to go outside of these doors in that world and work every day, don't you? 
And not everything's perfect where you go, is it? The Bible is not a textbook. It is meant to be lived. It is meant to be carried out in shoe leather. It is meant to show the greatness of the church. And everything that's in that book is so powerful, it's unbelievable. And it's there for our taking. Then finally, this is the preacher's famous verse, and I'm, I'm ten minutes over. Please forgive me. Can I, can I finish this one? Okay. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, I need someone to read verses 24 and 25. Okay? Now, when you're not in church... And you upset preacher. Now, i got to admit, I used to do this. And I don't know why, because the people I were preaching to was in the church. <laughs> and, I, you know, you just got to gotta preach this every now and then, right? Uh, especially when you're looking out there and you go, where's so-and-so? Where? Man, half the congregation's gone. Now, in a town that has a military composition, that could be very true. There were some Sundays I could blindfold myself, throw a baseball, and I wouldn't hit anybody in the congregation because there were so many empty seats. Okay? So the preacher loves this verse. Uh, who will read that verse for me? Okay? Alright, go right ahead. Real loud now. Okay, verse 25. That's right. You know, the reason you ought to come here is because this man's always... Hey, don't you ever get mad at him because he uses a message that makes you uncomfortable. You sit there and go, okay, preacher, well, I should, I should have done better on that. You know? Because he's not preaching because he hates you. He's preaching to you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to go into sin. He's seen what happens to people that go into sin. Have you seen people like that, brother? It's sad, isn't it? And I've watched people just destroy themselves right in front of my eyes. And a pastor, man, I tell you what, that hits you so deep you can't imagine it. We had a man commit suicide in our church, a, uh, a young man. And I don't think I've ever seen pastors so distraught. You don't know what it does to a pastor. A pastor can take most anything. Did you know that? He'll even go out and take an extra job if you just let him stay and preach. Okay? The one thing he can't take is when you start missing the assembly because he knows the next step is he's got a home visit and it's going to be a bad one because sin is going to crop up. He knows that this book will either keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And his heart breaks. And he even prays for you. And he practices his sermons. you know that? I used to go down the road practicing my sermon. I know the people driving by me must have thought I was some kind of crazy nut. I would say, yeah, and I'll tell you what, Sunday I'm going to say this. And you know, I get in the pulpit and I never say any of that. <laughs> Lord, make me say something else. But you see, his job is to provoke you unto love. The word provoke means to be... Have you ever... Uh, I, I grew up in the South, and so we had pigs. And you'd take a, a stick, and you'd stick them as hard as you could, and they'd squeal and start running. Okay? That was the only way you'd get them to move. Those things are ugly mean. All right? I mean, a pig will hurt you. He ever gets you down, and he's fast? Oh, my goodness. They're like greased lightning. They can be on you before you turn around. So, you know, you carry two by four. You see him coming at you. You wind up like a baseball shot, and you hit him with it, okay? And he'll go, <clears throat> you know, and stop. All right? See, this man's job is to take that stick and every now and then go, you know, we ought to love one another. See, in the church... We need to be taking care of each other. That's a good thought, isn't it? That's why we have our preacher and why he does such a good job. He, he doesn't like it, but every now and then you have to do some things, right? And, you know, the second thing that the church is for? Good works. That's why we preach. 
That's why we don't miss the assembling of ourselves together. And as the time comes closer to the coming of the Lord, we ought to do it more often. Isn't that what it says? As the world gets worse, the church ought to get better. Why? Because we refuse to stop the assembling of ourselves together. Uh, well, that's it. That's the message for tonight. But I hope and pray you understand that everything I'm saying to you is exactly what Operation Renewed Hope does. And that's why I get to stand before you and say, you know, uh, there were 300 people who came to Christ. Their hearts were broken. There were 36 in the first church service. Their hearts were broken. We're now working with a lady who had a botched surgery. She lives underneath a little blue tarp. That's all she's got. The government's not going to help her any further. I just sent $1,000 to the missionary to start taking her into the hospital, the pay place, and get her some help because in the botched surgery, they nicked her bladder and her bladder is leaking and that could lead to death because of deep infection. Yeah, people like that come to... Or I can tell you about uh, all the people who came and uh, we were able... Uh, uh, about a young lady, her mother brought her. She was not... Uh, mentally well. Uh, she had a, a mental challenge. But she had bad teeth. And her mother said, you know, my daughter just suffers so much from these bad teeth and, and she already has a, a challenge. Is there any way you could help us? Sure. We got her brand new teeth. And her mama came to church to show everybody her new teeth. Yeah, folks. You know something? Even the lost said, God's good. And that little church where that took place is full. You know where it is? It's in the middle of a Muslim village in Albania. We did a clinic, right? In, oh man, I thought we were going to get killed. Uh, right in the middle of a Muslim little town. And the people from the mosque came over and complained and brought the police. And I said, well, we've got the permission from the government right here. It says we can conduct the clinic right here. And so the policeman read the permission and he looked at the lady and he said, you signed this. <laughs> he said, go home. He handed it back to me and he said, go right ahead. And hundreds of people were standing in line in that Muslim town to get their medicine, see a doctor, and then go up and listen to Jesus about Him and what He's done in this world. And you know something? They got saved. Why? God's good. The stories of God's goodness. May we use that to win the world to Jesus.